Praise the Lord. It's good to be in the house of the Lord with you tonight. I'm going to uh, take a moment tonight, you may be seated, to, uh, I don't know I'll really be preaching, but I felt led to teach on something tonight that I think is very, very relevant to every life in this room tonight. Something that we're all dealing with uh, due to the times we're in and what's going on in our nation, our world. There's so many people who are fighting battles in their lives, and, and there's so many people that are growing weary of all the fighting. And the battlefield is the mind. And that's where wars are won and lost. And we're going to talk about this tonight. I'm going, to get, I'm going to have some very practical stuff I'm going to teach. I hope it helps you. Because a lot of times we uh, talk about things or maybe we preach about things, but I want to try to come and do some teaching and maybe give you some more even detailed insight and instructions and things that will help you through this process. Because our mind ought to be in Christ. And as believers, we have help. And he's our very present help in times of need, in our times of our trouble. So I'm going to uh, talk about this subject tonight. I believe Satan has launched an all-out war against our minds. Such an attack that many have trouble keeping their minds stayed on Christ. There are opposing sides in the spiritual realm. It's good versus evil. It's the spirit versus the flesh. Upon salvation, the spirit wars against the flesh. And the church has suffered many casualties because of these battles. Because evil imaginations have taken captive the minds of many. Because the flesh too often has overpowered the spirit. Because fear has set in delivering the crucial blow of defeat to so many. Your mind is so consumed and overwhelmed, just one more thing, and you feel like you're going to lose your mind, resulting in you losing the battle. And many feel like they can't hold on much longer. Many have contemplated just giving up. Notice I said feel like. I'm talking about feelings. I'm talking about emotional responses to stress and pressure and heartaches and trials and afflictions and hopelessness that all of us are experiencing. Yet as believers, we're not to live by feelings, but by faith, because fear is not of God. Many are battling with everything you got, aren't you? Well, what have you got? Have you even taken an inventory of your weapons? You do know you have them, don't you? And the Word of God declares we have weapons for our warfare. So then the question is, why aren't you using them? Do you feel, talking about feelings, that they're not effective anymore? And I've come tonight as a fellow soldier of the faith to encourage you to get back up and fight and instruct you how to fight this battle in your mind. And I've come to awaken you out of your unconscious state of mind. I've come to tell you God is still on the throne and that the devil is still a liar. And the church has suffered many casualties. We have many POWs, prisoners of war. We have many MIA that are missing in action in the body of Christ. Because of the flesh winning the battle, we have many who are living in fear that they're fixing to go under. They're fixing to lose their mind. They feel like they're going to be utterly destroyed. Yet my Bible tells me that God has not given you the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. And that we as a church must help our fellow soldiers out 
in their battles. If there's one thing too often we are guilty of as Christians, we leave our wounded behind in our spiritual wars. But not in a physical war, though. In our military, there's a bond to a fellow soldier. To point, many have given their lives trying to rescue a wounded soldier. It's a moral principle embedded in the hearts of our soldiers, men and women who serve in our military. And that moral principle ought to be also embedded in the hearts of soldiers of the faith as well. And that's seeing the pain, helplessness, hopelessness of another individual suffering that ignites the compassion in our soul for mankind, causing us to take risks for others. Seeing, seeing it through their eyes and responding from our hearts to the wounded. We've got to be sensitive enough to respond in the same way to the church, God's army. When we see a brother or sister wounded, hurt, helpless, hopeless, being bombarded by the enemy, deceived, we can't just leave them laying there and dying spiritually. And to every born-again believer, there is a spirit in you that ought to rise up and cause you to react by faith and out of love of God that's in you in your heart. When you find yourself not responding anymore, you better check yourself and make sure you haven't gone AWOL. Jesus said, no greater love has a man than to lay down his life for his friend. Jesus said it, and Jesus did it. How can you say you have the love of God that dwells in, your, in, in you when you set up your bowels of compassion? We have to have oversight. You know what that means? Look over and see somebody in need. The mind is a battlefield. It's where the enemy launches the attack. If he can deceive and convince you there's no hope, no way out, that you're going to lose, and that no one cares, he will isolate you, violate you, and destroy you. So let's stop him in his tracks tonight. Hallelujah. So to do so, first you must recognize who the real enemy is. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness world, against spiritual weakness in high places. We have an adversary, the devil, walking about seeking whom he may devour. Whether it be man, woman, child, doesn't matter to him. He's ruthless. When you gave your heart to Christ, you become his enemy because you weren't a threat to him before. It was the greatest thing you ever did. Now you're guaranteed victory. Read the book. We win. Before you committed, you were an enemy of Christ. You were a carnal man with a carnal mind. And a carnal mind is at enmity with God. Christ said, you're either for me or you're against me. But now, fortunately, as a believer, you choose the right side of the battle because you have the power over your enemy to defeat him. These signs shall follow them. Believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils? They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing that's not hurt them, they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. There is a power that worketh in us. Christ can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we're able to ask or think by the power that worketh in us. And second, we must understand we have weapons to defend ourselves. We must use them and know how to use them to be effective. Because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The enemy sets and he waits for the most vulnerable time to attack you. That moment we become complacent. That moment we let down our guard. As in the military, we leave our post. That unguarded moment, that open window of opportunity that we leave for him. That opportunity for him to make a mountain out of a molehill. Such as you go to a doctor. He says, well, I'm a little concerned about this spot right here. 
Come back in a week, and we'll run another test. Wham! He immediately begins to attack your mind. You got cancer. You're going to die. There's no hope. Where is your God now? And then for seven sleepless nights of worry, only to go back, and the doctor runs the test and says, well, everything looks all right. That was just some fatty tissue. But your enemy wore you out for seven days. That's him. That's how he works. He knows when you're most vulnerable. When you've seized, when you've seized having your daily devotions. When you've quit singing and praising, walking down the hallways of your house in the mornings. When you begin to slack in attending church. When your Bible lays for weeks in the trunk of your car. Ouch. Then wham, he attacks you, and you try to defend, but you're like Samson. You were so lax, you didn't even realize the strength of God had left you. What happens is you're let up. A few days, even a few weeks passes by, everything seems intact, seems all right. He gives you just enough space that's enough rope to hang yourself. Then he attacks. He's patient. And if you do manage to take the first blow and it doesn't take you out, he won't stop there. He'll kick you when you're down. He'll hit you from every side, and that's when you're going to need help. That's when you're going to have to cry out to your God in your battle. He says he's your very present help in times of trouble. That's when you're going to have to call on a Christian friend. Thank God for them. That's when you're going to have to get to the church. Thank God for the church. And that's when we're going to have to be the church. And many times it's going to take us going out of these four walls to rescue them. When we look around and we don't see them no more, they're MIA, meaning it's time for you, it's your Christian duty to go find them, and if they're in trouble, help rescue them. Don't just pick up the phone and call the pastor. Do you know in the military, most wounded soldiers who are rescued are rescued by those who stand beside them, those that are closest to them. They don't run back and tell the general Hey, sir, you got one down out there, about to die. Like no one can be rescued unless the general does it. No, there is something that rises up in them, and they take control, responsibility for their fellow man. They carry them to help them to safety. They do what a soldier has been committed to do. They do what they've been trained to do, and we must do what we have committed to God to do. Love one another as he has loved us, and we serve God by serving others. We have to realize our battles are spiritual, which can affect us physically. We have got to change our thinking. We are bombarded daily by the world through advertisements, TV, radio, magazines, books, social media. The purpose is to influence us, to change our thinking, to convince us this product's better than that one. This candidate is better than that one. This food is better than that one. That's why they spend billions of dollars every year advertising. And it's very effective to influence you. You don't think so? Look what, what kind of clothes you're wearing. What kind of car are you driving? What kind of food are you eating? Why? It's the result of the power influence in what we see. That's why Jesus said... Let your lights shine before men so they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In other words, be a godly influence. He knew if what we see negative can influence us, then what people see positively, Christ-like, can influence, influence us as well. I guess it's just a matter of choosing what you want your life-size billboard, billboard to say to the world. We are in this world, but we're not to be of this world. 
So our thinking is to be different. We have to be transformed by the renewing of our minds to win the battle that Satan launches in our minds. We have to have the mind of Christ. We have to have a spiritual mind, not a carnal mind. Paul said, let this mind be in you that is also in Christ. Not, he didn't say, not my mind, not his mind, not her mind. He said, but Christ's mind. You're not going to find lust in his mind. You're not going to find hate in his mind. You're not going to find doubt in his mind. You're not going to find hopelessness in his mind or fear in his mind. To win the battles, we have to strengthen our minds. Some battles are long and hard. And what happens when they wage long? Doubt tries to set in. Luke 12, 29 says, Jesus said, Seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. How shall we strengthen our minds through the word of God? We know in the natural, if we don't eat, we'll become physically weak. It's no different than spiritual. If we don't feed ourselves spiritually, we'll become spiritually weak. We've got to partake of the word of God. It's meat for the soul, and we've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. Paul said in Corinthians chapter 2, we have, we have the mind of Christ, therefore we should be able to discern spiritual things that a carnal man can't, they're a foolishness to him. Go tell a sinner his problem is a demonic force is attacking him. He'll laugh at you in your face. He don't understand the spiritual. He hasn't been enlightened. When I got saved, oh boy, did God enlighten me about a lot of things in my life. This light came on my life, and for the first time, I understood who my real enemy was why I was living like I was living, why I was where I was at, why I had made the mistakes I had made. And I was godly sorrowful for it and angry as well as to how could I have been so blinded to this, upset of how I blamed this one and how I blamed that one and this experience and that one for why I was so void and so hopeless. I had, every, had it down as everybody else's fault but mine. But now I know I'm responsible for my destiny and the devil is responsible for my misfortunes. For us having a spiritual mind, we ought to be able to discern whether our dilemmas are a spiritual battle, a sin problem, or simply a physical need. We ought to be able to sort it out in our minds. We got to realize we have a flesh. Paul dealt with this in the book of Romans. He said, I continue to keep doing the things I hate. He said he was having trouble understanding why. He said, until I came to the knowledge of the law, which revealed to me it was sin. We're not saved by the law, but it's by, but it's by it we are given the knowledge that we are sinners. Paul said, I, don't know, I didn't know sin was my struggle until I knew the law. And now I know why I do the things I hate. It's because my flesh causes me to sin. He identifies there is a war within us. That's why he said, daily, I have to crucify my flesh. To remain strong in our battles, we have to keep our hearts and keep our minds clean. We have to repent. We have to ask the Lord to search you, to reveal to you. If not, your enemy awaits war on you in your mind, condemning you by your own sins. It'll be like you're giving him the ammo to kill you. Too often we're trying to fight spiritual battles through physical reactions, such as attitudes, our tempers, words that hurt, lashing out those around us, critical language, that isn't going to win a spiritual battle. That's going to cause just more dissension, leading to just more depression and oppression in your life. Why are you going to drive everyone away from you? It's not always everyone else's fault. You have an adversary. And what you need to be doing to prepare for a battle, to be able to endure a battle, to win a battle, is what every good Christian soldier knows to do daily. Pray, fast, praise, 
worship, and read the word. These are weapons of your warfare. They are not carnal. I'm going to declare to you what God declared to Jeremiah. A sound of battle is in the land. So hear me loud and clear. It's not a matter if I have a battle. It's when I have a battle. War is coming. Good and evil are warring in the heavens and in the earth. And we better prepare our minds. We better gird up our loins. We better strengthen our minds. We better bury the word deep in our hearts. We better mount up our posts and declare we're going to ride with the master. Though the winds may blow and the storms may come and battles may rage, I'm on the winning side. God is my father. Hallelujah. You know, we're, we're good at preaching. Here's the problem and Jesus is the answer. That's good. But we also got to tell the how-to. Sin is the problem, and Jesus is the answer. That's so true and so theologically correct. But where is the how to live a victorious life as a Christian? I don't want to be guilty of that tonight. I'm going to give you some very practical, simply said how to, then you can make a choice to follow it or discard it. Here we go. How do you win a spiritual battle? Number one, you have to have a strategy. You have to have a battle plan. You have to be strategic. If you wait till the battle is done started, you're already in trouble. We found this out on the day of Pearl Harbor. We let our guard down. The enemy hit us by surprise. And by the time we got our act together, men had lost their lives, and our military had suffered great damage. How much more effective would it have been? How many more lives could have been spared if we were more alert and we were better prepared for the day? You see, the enemy doesn't attack without a plan. He waits for a vulnerable time. A good military has two plans, an offensive and a defensive plan. Should be the same for spiritual battles. We should be on the offense as much as the defense. So let's just start with building a defense and why. Why? To protect your mind, to guard your heart. To do this, you have to establish perimeters and boundaries. How far are you going to allow your mind to travel? Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks his heart, so he becomes. A perimeter will set a boundary. It will block the enemy's entry into your life. He always enters with a purpose of seizing the mind. And some of the greatest battles erupt because we live our life without boundaries. We don't draw lines in the sand. And we must. You must declare, I won't allow this to enter into my mind. I'm not going to allow that to enter into my heart. I'm not going to allow that into my eyes. I'm not going to allow that into my children. This is how far as it, this is as far as it goes, and any closer, I will strike back. As America, as well as other countries, have set boundary lines, and if anyone crosses them, they become their enemy. We have no-fly zones established, and if anyone crosses them, they know they will suffer the consequences. It will cause war, vice versa. If we cross them, it will cause a war. If you cross over into the enemy's territory, you're going to suffer some consequences. You can't cross those boundaries, as well as you can't allow the enemy to cross into your boundaries if you're trying to keep your home sanctified. Don't you allow your unsaved brother to bring his liquor into your house. There'll be consequences. Don't allow your children to watch ungodly movies in your home. There'll be consequences. Draw boundaries, and don't let the enemy cross them. If he does, it's time to attack, to defend your mind. One must establish no-fly zones in your life. 
and places we don't need to be in. Can I be honest? If you have a problem with drugs, you're going to have to establish boundaries. I can't go here. I can't go to that house. I can't go to that part of town. I can't hang out with those people. Why? It will help defend you from your enemy because if you cross those lines, he will bombard you, your mind, and you'll be back to doing what you were always done. When we fail to establish boundaries, we'll become the enemy's in, we, will, we, we will welcome the enemy's influence back into our lives. We find ourselves right back in the situation we had trouble getting out of the first time. I say that what, to that, what a poor soldier. What a poor defense. How did we establish perimeters? With our eyes. Your eyes are your outermost defense. Matthew 24, 4, Jesus answered, watch out that, they, that no one deceive you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 22, we are told to abstain from the appearance of evil. If it looks bad, it probably is bad. Proverbs 4, 25 says, let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Make level paths for your feet and take only ways that are firm. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. Build a defense perimeter in your life in regard to your thought life. Guard your mind. What usually goes in works itself out in your behavior. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You put garbage in, guess what's coming out? Garbage out. Ever found yourself in a conversation, and all of a sudden, that, this ugly remark pops out of you, and you wonder, where did that come from? Can I tell you, there's something inside of you that is ugly. Get rid of it. How do you get rid of it? Repenting, reading the word, sanctify yourself. You've got to put something good in to get something good out. Ephesians 5, 25, 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself for, up for it that he might sanctify it with the washing of water by the word. Being a doer of the word will clean you up. Guard your heart. That's what Solomon, the wise man of the Old Testament, said. Above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. We guard our heart by setting our affections on God and his purposes for our life. Now, let's look quickly at the offensive strategy. There's time to go on the offensive. When the enemy chooses to cross the boundaries, you set. When 911 happened, America had, to, America had to go on the offensive to destroy our enemy before it can come and destroy us. The enemy crossed the boundary, and we began doing everything we could to seek out our enemy and destroy them. And at the same time, prepare a better defense and to strengthen our borders. We become on, a high, on high alert. We cannot underestimate our enemies ever again. Because here we were, the superpower, this mighty entity of defense, if still not enough, while we sit complacent and confident, we can't be touched. Our enemy has spent countless hours watching us, planning to attack us, when to attack us, how to attack us, where to attack us, while we slept in the comfort of, we thought, security. Yet they found our weakness and they attacked us. The devil plans the same way. If you can understand the natural, then please apply it to the spiritual. When the enemy attacks us, it's time to go on the offensive. And at the same time, strengthen your defense and secure your borders. Better not to allow it to happen again. For the weapons of warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, through the pulling down of strongholds. 
casting down the imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing to captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These verses remind us the battle of the mind in our lives. A stronghold is evil entrenched. Paul makes the point that evil is entrenched in the thinking of people, even to the point where people allow their own beliefs, their own beliefs to supersede the word of God. <clears throat> They'll go like, I know what the Bible says, but, but what? It's the infallible word of God. This is a faith journey. It always has been and always will be. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Walk in the spirit and you shall not feel the lust of the flesh. Without faith, it's impossible. It's God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. The Bible is the truth that will mend your mind. The Bible is the truth that will deliver your mind. The Bible is the truth that will change your mind. It will transform it. If you're going to win battles, you must take our thoughts and make them obedient to the word of God. Take, I can't do it, to I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Take, I have a family to support and I'm strapped to my God supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Take, I'm useless to, I am his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus and to good works. Submit your beliefs to the beings of the word and believe God. How? Here's what to do. One, make a commitment to love, the, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Matter of fact, make a fresh commitment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Make a commitment to get rid of the filth that's been feeding your mind. Guard your mind. Set boundaries. Watch what you're watching. Watch what you're listening to. Watch who you're hanging out with. Take out the garbage. It stinks. And when you do, it will clean up your mouth. It'll clean up your attitude. And it'll clean up your critical spirit. Focus your mind on good things. God your family, how God's blessed you. Because it says you become what you think. Philippians 4, Paul said, think on these things. What sort of things is true? What sort of things are honest? What sort of things are just? What sort of things are pure? What sort of things are lovely? What sort of things are of good report? If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Commit your life to prayer. Pray with confidence that God hears you and answers. Be specific with God. Pray that God will keep you from wavering and stumbling. Pray against spiritual opposition. Pray against spiritual oppression. Use the weapons that God has given you to fight these battles. If you take a soldier, drop him off in the battle zone, you must give him weapons, direction, support, food. If not, he won't survive long. Well, we got all that in this Bible. All we need to know on how to survive, he's given us instructions to we just got to change our stinking thinking. And I'm going to be closing with this. Tonight, God wants you to be released from these attacks on your mind. He wants you to be an overcomer. He wants you to be encouraged. He wants you to produce courage and trust him. He wants you to take him at his word. He said, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Whose side you're on makes a difference. And the difference is this with Christ. You're not hopeless, and you're not a loser. He says tonight, I love you just like I made you. Raise up your head, O daughter of Zion. Hold on to my word. Let your heart meditate on it. Put on the helmet of salvation to protect your mind. Put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect your heart. 
Gird up your loins, shod your feet, set your boundaries, defend your mind. He, be prepared to fight with your weapons. Keep watch with your eyes. Then walk in victory. Cry out in your battle. But without Christ, your mind will be overthrown by the enemy, bombarding you till defeat. So many battles going on in the minds of so many believers. Even though you're saved, there's still battles to be fought. As a believer, you are an en- you're an enemy to Satan. He wants to destroy you. He's just got to get you to believe a lie, and you'll destroy you all by yourself. By the condemnation of yourself or by the condemnation put on you by others. That's the biggest lie he wants you to believe, that you should be condemned. When the truth is, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. As a believer, you shouldn't be condemned. Convicted at times, but not condemned. Because you have an advocate with a father named Jesus. It says... If you should sin, he's faithful and just to give you all sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. <clears throat> the mind. The mind is being attacked like never before. There are so many people going through so many things. And you're not taking the time to think on the things that are good, lovely, pure, and those things. You're consumed. You're consumed with what's going on, what's attacking. You're, you're consumed with the fight. You've got to put your mind on Christ. You have to have the mind of Christ to overcome. You've been given the power to overcome. Perhaps you were raised in an unstable environment. Perhaps you had unpleasant experiences that are weighing heavily on your mind. Perhaps you were only raised by one parent or no parent. Maybe you lived in an abusive childhood. Perhaps you were poor and ridiculed. Perhaps in your teenage years, overweight and made fun of. Perhaps you were a slow learner. Perhaps you weren't attractive. Perhaps you fell in a drug or alcohol scene looking for acceptance, leading to many other mistakes that you regret. Perhaps you were declared an outcast, dealt with teen pregnancy, had to be a single mother, had to live in an abusive marriage, had the pressure trying to make ends meet, working two jobs, trying to survive, failed at college, failures just keeps following you. You must be knee. I must be really stupid. Who would ever want me? Perhaps these things are weighing on your mind. Perhaps you have children that are being rebellious. Perhaps you have an unfaithful spouse, and you feel like can't take no more. Whatever is weighing on your mind, the weight of all this on your mind is in the, to the point you're just about to crack. You see your life as a mess with anxiety, oppression, depression, or moving in. Can I tell you, without the mind of Christ, your thoughts will never change. You're on the wrong side of the battle, but having the mind of Christ makes a difference. Because he's able to keep that which you committed to him. Even when you give your heart and life to Christ, you're still going to have troubles. When you give your heart to Christ, all things become new. Old things pass away. You're a new creature. And you begin, and you begin to live a life that's worth living. But through a process of time, you let your guard down. You don't protect your mind. You didn't set boundaries. You became weak. An unpleasant circumstance has arisen. You begin to feel those inadequacies in your life again. You begin to cower down again. Your enemy brings up your past and reminds you of mistakes, and you begin to listen again. He deceives you into thinking you're fooling yourself and you think things have changed. Those old feelings and old hurts kick in again. A war rages between your spirit and your flesh. Sin's crept in and you're feeling condemned. The children are rebelling. Your finances are strapped. It's one thing after another. Bombarded with it's just If just one more thing happens, I'm done. And you find yourself in a mess again. 
So now what's different about the life of Christ and a life without Christ? Here's the difference. With the life of Christ, he'll be your very present help in times of your trouble. When you find yourself in times of trouble, he will show up and show himself strong in your behalf, and he will bring peace to your storm. Would you stand with me, please? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you won't have troubles. Don't mean you won't be attacked. Don't mean you won't be reminded of your past by your enemy. Don't, doesn't mean that you won't get snared. It means no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It means greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. It means if God be for you, who can be against you? God is a God of peace. Tonight, I'm going to call the body. This is prayer time. I'm going to call you all up to, if you would, come and just stand in the altar for just a moment. If you would, please move now. Danny, you can start the music in the background. If you would, please just come and stand. This message is so relevant to every person in here because every single one of us has a mind. Every single one of us deals with these things that are going on in our lives, in our mind. They're overpowering sometimes. The anxiety builds up. The worry sets in. These things bombard us. And they change how our behavior, they change how we act, they change how we view things, how we go through things. But what God wants to do tonight, 